Broadcasting from Youngstown, Ohio, this is the MV Red Podcast, the show where we talk about news and politics impacting the Mahoning Valley, the state of Ohio, and the USA. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, find us on your favorite podcast streaming app or visit our website, www.mvred.com. If you want to share your opinion with us, please email info at mvred.com, as we would love to hear from you. Now, let's get things started. Here are your hosts, Michael Metzinger and Dane Davis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of the MV Red podcast. This is Michael Metzinger. Joining me is Dane Davis. We're back from our one-month hiatus. And a lot has happened in the political world since our last episode, which I think was before Christmas or after Christmas, right after Christmas, something like that. Then does that sound about right to you? Sounds about right. Yes, Michael. Yep. Yes. So uh, quite a bit's happened since then. Um, we took out the number two guy in Iran. Um, I forget his name though. Salami. So we'll go with salami, salami. I don't know what the heck it was. We'll go with salami. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about Iran on today's episode. Then we're going to talk about the Democrat primary. The Iowa caucus is, I think, a week and a half away. So there was some some new polls that came out there. I believe today and maybe yesterday. So we could talk a little bit about that. Maybe give our predictions as to what we think is going to happen there. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the new big department store coming to the Eastwood Mall, Boscoff's. This is a special request from Dane, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, before we get started, Dane, how's how's things going for you and your family? Very good, Michael. I'm currently uh, taking a bubble bath right now. A bottle of wine. It's a uh, Italian Piedmontese uh, 2013 Barolo. If it sounds a little uh, cacophonous, it's because I'm in my bathtub. Uh, so I'm drinking wine, and uh, this episode is sponsored. We have two sponsors for this episode. Uh, Dr. Teal's Foaming Bath with per- Pure Epsom Salt. <laughs> and um, Village Naturals Aromatherapy Lavender and Chamomile Body Soak um, Bath Salts. Uh, a reminder to everyone to stay hydrated, to take many baths, and uh, do not smoke the bath salts. That's obviously very bad for you if you smoke the bath salts, but to uh, enjoy them in a uh, nice little bubble bath. Um, you know, our forefathers created this country so that we would have the luxury of taking baths, right? Baths are for uh, patricians, showers are for police. So take as many baths as you can, body you. Great advice, Dave. Great advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, what do you? What do you? Uh, what would you like to start talking about? You want to start talking about Iran, and maybe we'll then we'll dive into the political scene that's currently taking place. Yeah. yeah. So, I think that you know, since our last update, we had World War Three. Um, actually, we didn't have World War Three. We just had World War Three on Twitter. Uh, and we also have the Democratic primary. So I think that those are the two topics. And I think this can be a shorter podcast. Yeah. But, um, you know, with the Iran strike, I, uh, I found mixed messages, right? Um, on one hand, you know, Trump is the leader of a party that's still not ideologically behind him with respect to foreign policy. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, there are two strands within the Republican Party. There's the isolationist strand, right, the non-interventionist strand, and then there's what they call the neocon strand, right? One group says, hey, let's leave the Middle East entirely, and the other group says, let's bomb the Middle East and turn it into a uh, parking lot, right? And um, Trump, I think when he ran, he kind of ran as a Ron Paul isolationist, right? You know, being tough, not a pacifist, but not getting involved with foreign wars, and if we did, it would be in America's interest. Uh, with this strike on Iran, it, it was interesting because it initially seemed like it could lead to a much long, larger conflict. Uh, kudos to Trump, though, for, I think, de-escalating the situation. 
Uh, you know, the Iranians have been killing American soldiers, and uh, that's absolutely unacceptable. And uh, to the extent that this strike in killing the general, uh, Salami, for lack of a better name, uh, leads to peace in Iran, it's a good thing. Um, but if it leads to a war in Iran, I don't think that looks likely, but I think that would be disastrous. But, you know, I, as somebody that's on the more isolationist side, right, I was very, very worried when I saw this strike. Over time, though, I've calmed down, and it looks like things are stabilizing. But, um, yeah, I was initially very worried. It was concerning. I didn't want to fight a war in Iran, right? I think that would be disastrous for the U.S. I think if we're being frank with ourselves, the Republican Party has not fully admitted the fact that the Iraq war was a total disaster. I mean, maybe you disagree. I don't know. Um, and, you know, going into Iran would be Iraq times 10. The fact that we've kind of de-escalated the situation is a good thing, in my opinion, and it's Kudos to Trump for doing so, but um, I, I think that that's worthy of a quick point of discussion between the two of us. Yeah, so you bring up a good point about the two, I guess, wings or what, whatever you'd like to call them within the Republican Party, um, like Rand Paul. I even think like that. I think he's the senator from Utah, Mike Lee. I think they 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 didn't seem like they were 100 percent on board with with what Trump did, and it certainly didn't like the if you want to call it evidence or what have you that the military um, officers or, or whomever they were I don't know if they were from the Joint Chiefs of Staff or, or what had presented to Congress, so they weren't on board, and then you got other. And then at one point, you had Trump surround himself with John Bolton, who Trump even yeah. said if, if Bolton had the choice, he'd probably bomb all these countries around the w world. So what I do like about Trump with this is – well, obviously, I'm glad that they were able to have an opportunity to take this guy out if – you know, hopefully, um, you know, everything that's being said is true that – this individual is planning uh, further attacks on U.S. embassies overseas. And so I, I like the fact that we've strategically taken out him. We've taken out the head of ISIS um, without getting ourselves into a war. And, and obviously, if, what was that, two, three weeks ago, it was tense. It was nerve-wracking that one day, and I'm, I'm glad Trump showed restraint and didn't get us in there. I think deep down he doesn't want to get us in there, uh, but he saw the opportunity to take that guy out, in which he did successfully, which was good, I think. Um, and, and definitely seems as though things have calmed down quite a bit, and hopefully for not only our sake, but I think the whole world's sake, uh, that that's probably the best possible outcome to come out of all this. Yeah, I agreed. And, you know, what's interesting is... Um the Republican Party, even though it's fairly unified under Trump, I think approximately 95% of Republicans support Trump, right? But on an ideological level or called a policy position level, the Republican Party is less clear as to what it stands for. Um, because it's evolving, right? It's changing. And on foreign policy, you know, the Republicans have kind of had two, two separate schools, well, three schools. One is more of an isolationist school. Um, you can find it in Pat Buchanan, Ron Paul, and kind of modern-day Trump, where it basically says, like, hey, forget the rest of the world. Let's focus, um, let's focus on here at home. The other school is a realist school. I would say Reagan and Bush Sr. both go to this school, where they're basically like, we'll, we'll, we're willing to fight overseas, but there has to be a clear way that benefits American interests. And then you have a neocon neo school, right, an aggressive school, which basically says, you know, like, let's make the world safe for democracy by deposing foreign dictators. And this was very prominent under Bush Jr. Um, and so there's these three schools of foreign policy at war with each other. And Trump, because Trump's not really an ideological person, right? I don't think Trump thinks of it through an ideological political policy, right? Uh, it's It's... He clearly has instincts that lead to the isolationist school, but he has pointed, as you mentioned, people that are from the neocon school. So it was kind of an interesting moment of, are we going into a full-scale war with Iran or are we pulling back? For the record, I think a, a full-scale war with Iran would be uh, completely disastrous, right? I think it would be the end of the Republican Party, and I, I hyperbolic, but... I think it would be the end of the Republican Party. I think it would be horrible for this country. 
if we were to try to launch regime change in Iran. Um, that's not to say I support the Iranian regime, right? But I think it would just be a total disaster. Yeah, I think sooner or later, as long as the U.S. and our American soldiers overseas aren't at risk of something horrible happening, you got to let these people be. I, I'm sick and tired of of us trying to get involved with so much shit over there in terms of you know hinting at maybe a war here, hinting at a war there. From the fiscal, the fiscal conservative in me likes to remind people that, that there is a cost to war, not only a, a, a cost, a much more important cost, which is the cost of an American soldier's life, but there's also the financial cost of a war. And we saw the massive bill that added up with the Iraq war and then the ever or the never ending Afghanistan war. And I, quite frankly, you know, as much as I, I support Trump and what he's doing, he has not addressed the fact our deficit is still out of control and it's not improving in any way and getting us into war is certainly going to make things far, far worse. So I think in some ways, sometimes Republicans are a bit hypocritical there. They say one thing and yet once again, they, they do the opposite once they're elected in office. And I think this is case in point when it comes to the idea of war, there are definitely some Republicans who would have no problem whatsoever taking out Iran. And I hate, I hate when people say that. It's like, oh, you're going to take it. Then what are you going to do? You're going to do what we did in freaking Iraq, which is try to rebuild a country and rebuild a government, and it's going to be never-ending. Yep. Sooner or later, we got to understand that our culture, our way of life doesn't work over there, and we got to accept that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, look, Dane's taking a bath and drinking Barolo wine, right? And, you know, that's pretty plummy. And I think we all we all can support that, but not everybody on the planet wants that for their uh, children, right? Other people want different things, and I think absolutely what you said—that American culture and American life—we've assumed that it's the default for the world, and I, I don't think it is, right? Our government, um, our institutions came after lots of blood, sweat, and tears, and a long period of evolution. Uh, you know, it wasn't like we were just imposed this democracy and this system of uh, limited government and property rights, etc. So, yeah, I'm, I'm 100% with you. And I would like to see us get out of Afghanistan. I don't know why we're there. I don't know why people are dying there. What's the goal there? I don't know why we're in Iraq. I don't know why we're in the Middle East. I mean, let's not forget, when you were a kid and when I was a kid, America was an oil importer. Now we're an oil exporter, Right. Uh, one of the benefits of fracking is that America can supply its own oil and energy needs domestically, by by and large. Um, and uh, we don't need to be dependent upon the Middle East anymore. So in my opinion, we pull out, we consolidate, and we focus on here at home. But um, I'm glad to hear you echo that. And I think a lot of the Republican Party has changed over the last 10 years, and they've come around to a Michael Metzinger view of the world. Let's hope so. <laughs> what I did find fascinating about that whole thing was I anticipated immediately after gas prices would really skyrocket. And quite frankly, I remember probably four or five days after I saw gas right around the corner from my house on my way to work as low as two twenty nine a gallon. Because of what you just said with how America has evolved in terms of utilizing the energy supply that we have and drilling and fracking and all those types of things that we are not as impacted or as uh, we're not affected nearly as much as, as it would have been a decade ago, even um, 10, 15, 20 years ago in terms of these types of things, because we're, we're drilling, we're doing, we're producing so much more oil and all that. Um, so I thought that was encouraging to see uh, because I was quite worried that we're going to see gas prices just skyrocket, but then it was a, a good kind of a good reminder that, we're doing so much more uh, because of this administration. So that was yeah. something else I, I noted. You know, I, I, I make the point that people that call themselves environmentalists should be in favor of the American manufacturing sector um, because American manufacturing is some of the cleanest in the world and uh, American energy is some of the cleanest in the world, right? Like if you want to – we're going to – the world's going to use oil. Where should that oil come from? It should come from the – because we produce it in a contained uh, method, where the Saudis or these other countries 
not only is it environmentally destructive, it also has you know the geopolitical risk, right? The human the human rights risk. Um, so you should be if you believe in human rights and if you're a progressive and you believe in all those various causes, you should be an American nationalist because having America produce things at home and source things at home uh, helps the world on on that front. But yeah, so that's that's good. I think that's good. I think that the Republican Party is changing when it comes to foreign policy. We're uh, we're looking at the world a bit different. We're not trying to make the world in our image, but we're trying to look at America first. And I think it's really important to understand that America first is not a dirty word. Uh, it's not a dirty slogan, right? If if I say to you, Michael, I care about my family first, that doesn't mean I'm anti the Metzingers, right? I don't hate your children. I don't hate your wife. I just look out for my family first. And I expect you to look out for your family first. The man who pledges loyalty to the world and to universal causes is in actuality a nihilist because he has no loyalty um, and nothing to bind him. That's a good point. I don't – the faux outrage, the faux social media – uh, woke culture of today, where everybody's offended by everything. That idea, how how possibly? How I do not understand how the I don't know if you want to call it a slogan or whatever. America first is controversial in any way. <laughs> it's something uh, I, I've noted it before, but it's we we have to take care of our own selves first. It, liberals are quick to point out that America has a lot of issues, which. We may or may not agree on all the things, but we have plenty of issues in this country. We have a, uh, people who are poor and, and, and reliant on the government, among other things. We need to address those types of things. We need to, we need to address the issues at hand in our country first before we worry about all the problems around the world. We can't – first off, we certainly can't police the world, but we can't also – take care of the rest of the world and and this might be a topic for another day is this idea of foreign aid that we provide to other countries um you know i'm sure there's some logic behind it and maybe in certain countries it's because we have military installations and who, who knows and obviously we cover the cost of those i i just don't understand the idea of why we do so as much foreign aid as we do but that maybe is a discussion for another day yeah, I mean, I mean, look, right? At the end of the day, the people that – this is a different topic, but this is kind of more of a free-form episode. People virtue signal because they want to show off their own morality, right? If 100 years ago, 200 years ago, Christianity was the dominant form of morality. So people would go to church because they wanted to show that they were more moral than their neighbor, right? Human beings have an instinctual need to show off virtue and to demonstrate that they are, in fact, superior to their neighbor, whether that's through wealth, whether that's through virtue, right? It, it depends. Christianity has kind of gone by the wayside in America today. We're no longer, I think, predominantly an Ameri a, a Christian nation, right? We're much more pagan in our outlook or non-Christian in our outlook. So what's replaced Christianity? Well, human beings still have a instinctual religious impulse, right? They have an impulse towards the transcendental, and they also have an impulse towards virtue signaling against their neighbor, showing that they are, in fact, superior to their neighbor. So they've adopted all these liberal causes, and they filled the role that Christianity used to, to, used to fill, right? So no longer is it I'm a moral person because I go to church. It's I'm a moral person because I vote Democrat. And I support refugees, which means like liking the page on Facebook and uh, supporting foreign aid or whatever it may be, right? Like we all know the cause, right? And it, it fills in many ways the same function as a religion. It allows people to feel superior to their, towards their neighbor without doing a lot to actually help their neighbor. Um, but that's a whole – that's an issue for another episode. But so to go to your point, right um, – uh, the, the issue of foreign aid and helping all these other countries, I think, is a form of virtue signaling. People want to feel superior, and so they adopt these policies because they know personally, you know, they have no skin in the game. That's the other thing. People usually don't have skin in the game. It's one thing if I have to say, I can't buy a new coat because I have to help Michael Metzinger and I have to give him $100, right? But if I just click on Facebook, there's zero cost to me, but it allows me to feel good. Um, so, yeah. 
That's a bit of a rant. Sorry about that, Michael. No, no, no. All good points. Uh, anything else you want to add on Iran or anything along those lines before we dive on the, the Democrat race? The Democrats. I'm done with Iran. Iran's boring. Nobody cares about Iran. Most people don't know where Iran is on a map, right? Like, if, if you were to take a gun and point it to, like, let's say your mother-in-law's head and be like, hey, point out Iran on a map, she wouldn't be able to do it, right? If you were to survey 15 people in Youngstown, I, I guarantee you that none of those 15 would be able to point out Iran on a map, right? Like, Iran is irrelevant at the grand at the end of the day. It's a great country. They have lots of history. The Persians are one of the great civilizations in world history, but it doesn't matter. Like, we don't need to blow them up and build a new regime. That's it. That's, that's the only point. Like, leave them alone. We'll do our thing. They do their thing, and let's go our separate ways. It's funny you mention that because I'm sure if you ask 15 people on the street, they probably would struggle to get 40 out of the 50 states right where they're located, to be honest with you, from yeah. some of the stuff I see on internet on the internet today. Uh, but let's move on. We'll talk about the Democratic race. There's so much going on there, and we're probably, I think, about like 10 days out, something like that, from the Iowa caucuses. And it seems like there's really no clear front runner right now. It just keeps going. It seems like every week in Iowa, it's Biden or it's Buttigieg or it's Warren or it's Sanders. But I guess I first want to talk about this little back and forth between the two ultra progressives in this race, Sanders and Warren. Who do who who do you believe in this thing? I'm on the side of Sanders. Who do yeah. you think? Well, let's let's summarize for our audience, right? They had a debate um, like a week or so ago that nobody watched because nobody's watching these debates because they're fucking boring, right? Like, I, I don't know if we should swear on this podcast. They're boring. They're very, very boring <laughs> debates, right? Nobody's paying attention to them. I like politics. I, I record a politics podcast with Michael Metziger, and even I am bored out of my mind. So I watched these debates, and the only spice was – Warren, prior to the debate, her people leaked to CNN, and correct me, Michael, if I'm wrong with this story, that Sanders said to her that a, a woman could not be president. Correct. Could not be elected president, right? And then during the debate, they asked her about that, and she's like, well, I, you know, I heard what I said, and Sanders said, well, it's not true. And then at the end, after the debate, they go to, you know, Sanders goes to shake her hand, and she said, did you call me a liar? Did you call me a liar on TV? I think you called me a liar. And Sanders was like, let's not have it out here. And she's like, I think you called me a liar, right? Did I summarize it right? You did. 100% accurate. Right? So I think Sanders probably said something to the effect of it would be difficult for a woman to be president. Not that it's impossible for a woman to be president or that – a woman can never be elected president. None of that. I think he said it was difficult. But Warren tried to, tried to drop this bomb on him to kind of destroy his progressive bona fides. And I think it's blown up in her face because Sanders is the lead. He's in the lead in Iowa. He's he's taking it away, right? That's that's what the latest poll shows. Right? Yeah, it, it seemed – I don't know if it was a Hail Mary pass from Elizabeth Warren who, what, two or three months ago was – seemed like she may have been the front runner in the whole thing. And then she started falling off. And, and I'm not qu quite sure what it was all about. But quite frankly, I, I, don't, I don't believe her. Obviously, she's got this whole Pocahontas Native American past. This, however, she got into college for free or whatever the heck she did there. I probably should, should get all the facts right there. But you got that aspect to her. And then she throws this out there. This this uh, grenade, political grenade out there to try to – I don't know what she's attempting to do, but I, I, I just question why she would do this. And then secondly, I just don't believe Bernie Sanders would say this. Let's, let's go back just a few years and recall the fact that Hillary Clinton still had, what, two or three million more votes than Donald Trump? Three. three. A woman could easily have beat Donald Trump as long as her name wasn't Hillary Clinton. <laughs> let's, let's let's not forget the fact it was crooked Hillary Donald Trump was running against, and there's yeah. plenty of people who didn't vote for her because not because she was a woman, it's because her and her husband have a very checkered past and her crooked as can be. Oh yeah, she's a fucking horrible Secretary of State. 
Okay. What did she accomplish as Secretary of State? Sorry, I don't mean to go off on Hillary, right? But what did she accomplish? She blew up Libya. Yeah, Libya is a progressive utopia, the open air slave market, right? What did she fucking accomplish? Oh, the reset with Russia? Yeah, that's going really well, right? No, Hillary, Hillary, listen, her husband was most likely, everybody wants to go like Trump is gross. Trump is gross. He said that nasty quote about women. He's probably a womanizer. Fine. You know what? You're right. I don't care. Bill Clinton's most likely a rapist, right? But you covered it up. The entire left wing of the Democratic Party covered up Bill Clinton's peccadilloes, right? His his uh, accounts of rape with Kathleen Wiley and Juanita Broderick. Um, they covered it up because they wanted abortion legal and they wanted a Democrat in the White House. So give me an effing break, right, when it comes to Trump and, oh, Trump says nasty things about women. Yeah, he does. And Bill Clinton probably raped women, right? And then Hillary, she she formed the uh, – what, what did she call it? She called it the uh, bimbo squad, right, where she would go down and every time there was – and these are her words, not mine – a bimbo eruption of some woman accusing Bill Clinton of uh, taking advantage of her. Uh, Hillary and her crew would track them down and destroy them, right? And by the basis of her own husband, she gets elected to a uh, safe seat in New York. Then she gets appointed Secretary of State. She blows it. Right? She doesn't accomplish anything. Give me a break. She accomplishes nothing. Name a, a serious foreign policy accomplishment, right? Only people whose knowledge of history uh, is limited to, like, the Facebook memes of two weeks ago would think that Hillary accomplished anything as Secretary of State. She She's horrible on that front. Trump runs against her, and he blows her out. And uh, he blows her out not because she's a woman, but because she was Hillary Clinton, um, sorry, again, I went off on another rant. I think it's the Barolo wine. Uh, <laughs> Hillary sucked. It wasn't, it wasn't because she was a woman. It wasn't because she was a woman. Americans have proven time and time again they will vote for women governors. They will vote for women senators, right? And I do believe that they will vote for a woman president if she is the right person to take the job, not because she's a woman, not on the basis of her sex, but on the basis of what she brings to the table of her leadership skills. And Hillary Clinton did not bring much to the table. As Donald Trump famously said, Hillary, you have experience, but it's bad experience. Yep. All good points. And there, there will be a time when a female is elected president in our lifetime. I, I think there's, there's no doubt about it. Just see, look at how many female candidates there were on the Democrat side running for president. And I'm sure that's going to be the case in the future in a few years, uh, what, four or five years with the Republicans as well. So I, I, I'm just on the side of Bernie here. But it seems like that and it seems like some in the media are trying to screw over Bernie again. And I'm trying – I can't quite figure out why. I, I, I want to add this one point in, in real quick. If you you look at Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, what they're both what seventy seven years old, seventy eight. Bernie Sanders just had a heart attack a few months ago, and when you watch him in the debate, Bernie Sanders act he has the mind of like a fifty or sixty year old. Biden's got the mind of an eighty five or ninety year old. I, I just I'm trying to figure out why they're going after Bernie so much yet again. Let me explain it to you, right? I, I don't think, you know, one of the problems the Republicans have is that they say the Democrats are socialists. And it's not quite accurate, right? There are two wings within the Democratic Party. One is more of a neoliberal identity politics uh, wing, and the other is an actual socialist wing. And I think they're both wrong, but they're wrong for different reasons. And it's important to separate between the two. Um, Joe Biden represents the, quote, neoliberal identity politics wing. So what this wing will do is talk about white privilege, and they'll talk about how whites privilege, and they'll pretend to be a faux progressive, right? But they will keep the essential corporate oligarchic domination of America in place. They believe in open borders, whether it's free trade, um, open borders in terms of immigration. Uh, they want to see the American middle class completely destroyed, and yeah, they'll give you some trinkets, right? They'll give you a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage, and they'll they'll give you a couple extra dollars and redistribute wealth, but they won't give you any extra power, right? They'll still treat you as a serf, 
And in the meantime, they'll, you know, say, hey, by the way, you know, it's those whites with that white privilege that you got to be concerned about. That's the neoliberal wing, and that's what Biden represents. What Bernie Sanders represents is the actual social democrat wing, right? The socialist wing, the progressive wing. And what he says is, we're not only going to redistribute the wealth to you, but we're going to redistribute power. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to control our borders in terms of trade, right? Uh, he's kind of backtracked, but he used to be a very big immigration hawk. Bernie Sanders, fun fact, look it up. Uh, he said open borders were a Koch brothers invention. Um, and we're going to give workers more power vis-a-vis corporations and capital, right? Labor is going to get a bigger share of the pie vis-a-vis capital. And the Democrats, this is what people do not get. The Democrats are the party of Wall Street. Wall Street, by and large, are Democrats, right? Finance, open borders, they're all Democrats. I worked on Wall Street. you got to take my word for it. They're not, they are not the parties of the worker. They oppose Trump big time. They are the party of Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg and Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden. So they look at somebody like Bernie Sanders and they hate him. The Democratic establishment, not the base, but the establishment hates Bernie Sanders because he truly does represent a revolution and how – the party looks at the workers and how the party, uh, what the party stands for. That's why they hate um, Bernie Sanders vis-a-vis Joe Biden. That's why they're trying to take somebody who I think has early signs of dementia, who is breaking down both physically and mentally, and they're trying to prop him in place. They kind of hope that he wins and uh, consolidates power. Good points. So I'm going to throw out something. Uh, at dinner tonight, we were talking, and my father threw out a scenario. I want to hear your thoughts on it because I did find it to be fascinating. Have we? Do you have an idea as to why Nancy Pelosi sat on the impeachment articles for 33 days and yet then lets it go to the Senate – right before the Iowa caucuses. Do you think she's also in on this whole thing to screw over Bernie Sanders? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I a hundred percent. I think the democratic establishment believes that Bernie Sanders would lose. And moreover they're what they're more afraid of though, is not that he loses, but that he wins and that the uh, social democratic wing, there's a civil war within the democratic party and people frame it between the socialists versus the moderates. And that's the incorrect framing. The true framing is the social Democrats versus the neoliberals. And I think Nancy Pelosi is afraid that if Bernie Sanders wing wins, right? He gets the nomination runs and he wins the presidency, his wing of the party will destroy the Nancy Pelosi wing and they will be dominant. And the Alexandria Octavio Cortez, uh, I can't pronounce her. Ocasio. Ocasio. Thank you very much. Um, They will be dominant in the party. And I think that's why Nancy Pelosi does not want him to win. And yes, I absolutely believe 100% she is doing this impeachment thing. And she waited because she does not want Bernie Sanders on the campaign trail. 100%. It's looking more and more uh, likely as each day goes by, I think, on that. Another thing I want to say is I think – well, go ahead. No, go ahead. I I mean – No, no, no. I was going to say it seems like there's this over-reliance with some in in the – I don't know if you want to call it the mainstream Democratic Party. This reliance on all these polls with Joe Biden. I don't – they, I think some honestly believe that he is the safe pick. I think he's about as risky of a pick as you will find. And I understand, I agree with what you're saying with Nancy Pelosi holding out on the impeachment articles, being sent over to the Senate to screw over Bernie. But if the idea behind it is, is to prop up Biden and to help Biden, because I assume that's who she's trying to help in this situation – I, I just think it's going to royally backfire on them with what we've seen in his debate performances. Michael, I agree 100%. I think Biden is – I again, this is something we've mentioned time and time again, but I think it's worthy of restating. I think most people, although I think this, this percentage of the population is declining, most people have in mind Biden of 2012, this kind of uh, – down-to-earth, a little silly, uh, blue-collar kind of guy, right? Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe from Scranton or wherever he's from. He kind of opens his mouth and he makes gaffes, but at the end of the day, he's a good guy. 
And I think the average voter thinks, well, between Trump and Biden, you know, Biden is not the best, but he's a safe pair of hands. The problem is Biden has mentally degraded dramatically over the past four years. And I think that the Biden of 2020 is not the Biden of 2016 or, more importantly, the Biden of 2020 or, excuse me, the Biden of 2012, the last time he was in the public imagination. And I think you're absolutely right. I think the Democrats think that he's the safe pick because he has black support in the primary. Um, he's well known. He's perceived as a moderate, even though I think he's very liberal. Um but I think it's going to blow up in their face because Biden cannot campaign. He has nobody that will support him. He will not win blue-collar voters. He is a paper tiger. He looks good on paper, but the closer people pay attention to Biden, the more he starts to wither. Yeah, and I think what people need to note, or maybe some in the Democrat Party need to realize, the the numbers for their debates have not been good. I just looked up the last two debates. There were six million and seven seven million Americans who watch us. Wait till if he is the nominee and there's a debate that gets fifty or sixty million. I'm not sure what they got four years ago. Let's say fifty or sixty million. I think that may be on the conservative side. Fifty, sixty million eyes watching a debate with Joe Biden versus Donald Trump and the see, start seeing him stutter and stumble and make and, and state things that really just make absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's going to royally, royally backfire on them because nobody – you're going to have – first off, you're going to have a batch of the Democrat wing or the more progressive wing, the younger people who are going to want no part of supporting him. Because they're going to believe that the Democrats once again screwed over Bernie. Secondly, you're going to have independent voters who are going to look at that and be like, I cannot possibly support this guy. And then I think you're going to have the core Trump supporters come out in full force. And I just think it would be a, a, a slaughtering in the Electoral College. I just think across the board it would be a slaughtering because he has just degraded – is that the right word I'm looking for? Uh, I think yeah. that's a very good word, Michael. It, it it just seems like, and we note it in every single debate, and and I'm sure there's people in his campaign who realize it and maybe try to prepare for it, but when he starts talking in these debates, it's a guarantee anymore that he's going to say something that's going to leave you scratching your head almost after every single one. There's a short. 15 to 30 second video of Joe Biden rambling and you're just asking yourself, what on earth is he talking about? Agreed. Michael, I wish I were a bet singer because I am so in sync with you right now. <laughs> uh, Dane Metzinger, which is you're important. sort of indirectly connected through your wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, we need to have an episode of Eddie Red where we explore the uh, genetic roots of uh, Dane and Michael. Uh, and the blurring of the family trees. But that's that's neither here nor there. Yes. Uh, you know, I absolutely think you're right. I think you're right. I think, look, you know, Trump has a weird way of talking. Uh, he kind of, like, goes on rants. And I don't think he's necessarily the most articulate, although he can be, right? I think people tend to underestimate him as a communicator. But compare him against Biden, and Trump is more energetic. He's sharper. Uh, he's funnier. I think... I'm going to say he's more charismatic and he doesn't, you know, he's gone on some weird rambling rants that you're like, what's he talking about? But nowhere near the volume or the weirdness as Joe Biden. Um, and again, listen, people listen, if you're a Democrat and you're listening to this podcast, listen to Joe Biden and be honest with yourself and ask yourself, is Joe Biden really mentally sharp? And he's not right. He is just a puppet and a tool of the democratic establishment they fear Bernie Sanders, and they want to put down the rebellion, and they're going to go all in on Joe B., uh, Joe Biden, as I like to call him. Well, deep down, I'm the more the more I watch him, the more I want him as their guy, and I'm hoping I'm hoping they keep buying into these stupid polls that they keep believing that he he. 
he's the guy to beat Trump. No, and I think too many people read too much into these popular vote national polls. Who cares? The, the election's going to be decided in the Great Lakes of the United States. That is where you need to go. And yeah. Michael Moore, somebody who I'm not a fan of, but I do give him credit where credit's due, who's from, I believe, Michigan, and pretty much called the 2016 election and said those people are going to support Trump. He said, if anything, there's a, the supporters for Trump have not – their support for him has not gone down one ounce. And if anything, they're more energized for 2020. And I quite frankly agree with him. And I listen to plenty of talk radio and I hear these people and I talk with people at work and I, I agree with Michael Moore. This is the part of the country that's going to decide the next, uh, the 2020 election. And I don't see Donald Trump struggling here. I think, especially in Ohio, I think he's going to do quite well, but I think in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, once again, and even up in the Minnesota, he's going to have much success. Michael Moore is so fat. He's so fat, right? And look, I'm not, I'm not against fat people, but if you're a socialist and you're fat, something doesn't make sense, right? Because socials are all about we got to spread the wealth, right? We got to, we got to take from others and give to the poor. And yet, Michael Moore is like obese. He's like he looks like Jabba the Hutt, and it's like, yo, dude. You want to use the government. You want to use force of arms to take stuff from me and redistribute to the poor. Okay, I get that. But hey, yo, dude, maybe you should stop eating Cheetos and uh, overeating. And maybe you should redistribute your own resources, Mr. Socialist Michael Moore. I don't trust a fat communist. I don't trust a fat socialist. Okay? I, I just don't. It's one thing a fat capitalist I'll trust because he's living true to his maxim. You know, he's greedy. I get it. But a fat socialist, there's there's something that's not gelling there. And Michael Moore is a fat socialist. I don't trust him. But you're right. He's right. He called 2016. I think he's going to call 2020. Before we move on, I did find one of those quotes at us, uh, or the short video clip of Joe Biden in the last debate. For middle of January, I want to play it real quick, and then we oh, it, we could talk about uh, whatever kind of thoughts we were going through his head at this point. So here it is. They're being clobbered. They're being killed. They now have in a situation where if they the vast majority believe their children will never reach the stage that they read, they they've reached an economic security. We and I love that debate because the American public is getting clobbered. The wealthy are the only ones doing well. Period. I'm looking forward to the economic debate. They're being clobbered. All right. So, so three things there. First off, at the end, he, he's looking forward to the economic debate. If I were you running against Donald Trump with this economy right now, I wouldn't look forward to that. Secondly, we could get past the fact he butchered whatever he was trying to say in the middle. Um, he was screwing up his words there. But third, what was he? What was the point there? He was all over the map, and that was a that was 22 seconds. Did you know that workers at the lowest the lowest two quintiles of the economic ladder. That means the people that make the least amount of money are seeing their wages grow faster than the top uh, percentage points. The poorest and then the Trump economy are doing very well. More can be done. I totally agree with you. But the idea that like this, I'd rather be poor. I'd rather be black. I'd rather be Hispanic in the Trump economy than the Obama economy any day of the week. I put that out there and that's factual right that's not just Dane pontificating that's that's reality second going off of biden i don't fucking know i don't know what he's talking about like you know <laughs> fucking knows right his brain is mush okay his son's a crackhead can we talk about that they ran the trump children through the mud can we talk about the fact that he raised his son to be a crackhead how hard is it not to raise your child to be a crackhead Okay, I think any parent whose child is a crack, I don't think I would vote for them for president. <laughs> well, that's very judgmental. Yeah, I don't give a, I don't give a damn. Okay, his son Hunter Biden impregnated a stripper in Arkansas. Okay, when his his brother died, he screwed his brother's widow while he married. That's a total slum bag, a sleaze bag. And Joe Biden's his dad. Okay, and also Joe Biden is a effing liar because Joe Biden said, "Oh, a drunk driver killed my wife, his first wife, right? Not Joe Biden, but his first wife." Did you know that wasn't a drunk driver that killed his wife? Google it if you don't believe me, okay? I'm sick of it. I'm sick of all these politicians, right? I'm sick of people saying, Trump sucks. Trump's such a bad guy. Yeah, 
Trump's a bad guy. He's an unsavory character. I would not like him dating my daughter. But you know what? The Bidens, all these other losers, they also suck. Elizabeth Warren, can we talk about how much she sucks? She lied and pretended to be an ethnic minority so she could get a plumbing position at Harvard making $400,000, $500,000 a year, right? Like, these people suck. The Bidens suck. I'm sick of Joe Biden. I'm sick of him. Fucking retire. Go off to, into the sunset. Enjoy your money that you got from the taxpayers and leave me alone. Sorry, Michael. I know that wasn't related to your question. I need to calm down. I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> well, like I said, after hearing that, I mean, in some ways, I sort of feel bad that there's people out there who, who are allowing this to happen. I mean, what's best for this guy, like you kind of said, is just hang it up. You had your chance. You've run for president three, four, five times now. And quite frankly, uh, you should have learned your lesson after the first two, three, four times because the American people don't want you as president. Um, I, I, I want to throw something out there because you were talking about Trump's, Trump and his personality, and, and I agree with what you said there. I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I think in many ways, Trump's personality is not only his biggest liability because, you know, God only knows what's going to come out of his mouth or what he's going to tweet on uh, Twitter. But I think in many ways, it's also his greatest asset. And it might not make much sense to you, but I think that's why, even though I think based on everything he's done, he should be a slam dunk pick. Um, I, I think that is why it's still going to be somewhat of a tight race because there's either people who really like that authenticity or there's people who just think he's a complete idiot. But I think in many ways, um, I mean, I, I, I truly kind of feel that his liability, he says a lot of dumb stuff all the time. And it leaves you like, what are you talking about? But in many ways, when he says things that are authentic, not focus group approved, it sounds like stuff that we as Americans would say in our day-to-day lives. That's what people like about them. Uh, yeah, I agree. Listen, the establishment in America of both parties is utterly corrupt. They hate you. They hate your neighbors. They hate your friends. They hate people like you. They're horrible people. They deserve no respect. They deserve nothing but your disdain, right? Yes, Trump is a wrecking ball. He came in there. He blew it all up. He destroyed it. Good. These people are not good people. Adam Schiff, uh, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, these people are horrible human beings, okay? They've done horrible things. Barack Obama danced on Ellen. Oh, he's so cool. He dances on Ellen. And meanwhile, he turned Libya into an open-air slave market and blew up over 3,000 people using drones, right? Oh, but we forget about that because he danced on Ellen. I don't care anymore, okay? The thing about Trump, the economy is great, and we haven't started any new wars. It's a very low standard, but guess what? He's passed it. So, yeah, I'll vote for him again. I'll probably vote for him again. And you know what? I want to add one other thing, Michael. I'm sorry. I had a lot of Barolo wine, so this is an unhinged thing. But, you know, it was approximately one year ago today that the, the media and the left wing, which is really the same thing, teamed up on a young 16 to 17-year-old boy named Nicholas Sandman, and they dragged him through the mud. Yes, that's right. Remember the little guy with the, the MAGA hat? The Indian guy. Never forget him. Never forget him, right? And they made him out to be like some horrible racist kid, and they were fucking wrong, okay? Nobody watched the full video. That kid tried to de-escalate the situation, and everybody drew his name through the mug. And that is your United States media and political establishment. These people are horrible human beings. They deserve nothing but our contempt. And Donald Trump is our big F you to the entire U.S. establishment. So, yeah, Donald Trump sucks. But you know what? They all suck far, far worse. So I will proudly vote for Donald Trump. And by the way, is your brother voting for Trump again? What's, what's he doing? Tommy. Tom. I, th- I think uh, he's definitely warming up to our side is what I'll say. I'm not gonna. I'm not. Maybe we'll have to have him on an episode, and we could talk with him. I think that would be a good idea. But I'll say this: he's warming up to our side. Good, good. Come on, which, which that's encouraging, right? Yeah, I, thank God. Uh, I liked what you said about the media. Um, you know, because I have no time this time of the year, but I still find time and um, to watch 
2016 election night videos. So over the course of a couple of weeks, I found that NBC News one over the it was the entire entire episode or the entire um, 2016 election I covered from the nightly news until 3 a.m. and I watched it in bits and pieces from like the first third of the night to the middle third to the to the final third. And that first third, the arrogance of those people, they had segments in the 7:30 to 8 p.m. hour talking about why Donald Trump was lost the presidency and why this was a great opportunity for the Republicans. Their arrogance, they're so wrong. And I I think to me what the most gratifying part of Donald Trump winning that election was was seeing how wrong the media was. Every single network, if you go on YouTube, you could watch all of these networks. They were all wrong from Chuck Todd, sleepy-eyed Chuck Todd, to Nicole Wallace, who used to be a Republican, who uh, she was – I'm not going to go there. Very disappointed in her. To George Stephanopoulos, which – Stephanopoulos, whatever his name is. Did you see him yesterday or, or earlier this week, by the way? Did a video? No. Give me the- uh, oh, so they were talking. I think uh, what's Trump's lawyer Sec- Seculo or something like that or se- something uh, like that. Seculo, yeah. So yeah, so I think they broke into coverage with the impeachment hearings, and that attorney started speaking, and midway through they they accidentally or purposely go to George Stephanopoulos or whatever his name. I keep butchering his name. I don't really care. He's doing the thing with his hand to say in the segment. And then they catch him on live TV doing it, and he has this goofy grin like, oh, boy, I've been caught. And they stop what Trump's attorney was saying right then and there. So he's crooked as can be. But every single network, those fools on CNN, the fools on MSNBC, every single one of them was wrong. And I can't wait for them to be wrong again in 2020 because there's no doubt in my mind that these people in their blue bubbles honestly think – they're going to beat Trump because of what these poll numbers show. They don't know what's about to hit them. I agree. I I completely agree. I will add impeachment. Who the, who is even watching this? Like, what well, the this? ratings are terrible. What 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 are they even impeaching him over? I still don't get that. I mean, maybe I'm very low IQ. I know I'm a Republican. I'm so dumb. I'm a troglodyte. Right? Like I I have the IQ of a rock. Right. But what are they even impeaching him on? I don't get it. What? That he withheld aid from the Ukrainians? Good. I don't want to arm the Ukrainians. Oh, oh, oh wait. No, we're supposed to arm the Ukrainians because we got to fight Russia. And we got to fight Russia because they're, they're somehow our enemy. I, like, what? 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 What's going on here? Like, why are they impeaching him? I don't get it. Trump's a tool of the Ukrainians. Trump's a tool of the Russians. Trump's a tool of the Polish. Trump's a tool of the Lithuanian mafia. Like, what is going on? I, I don't get it. Explain to me impeachment. I'm I'm so low IQ that I need some big brain liberal to get on this show and explain why we're impeaching Trump. Uh, I, I'm not sure. And the fact of the matter is we have an anonymous whistleblower who is probably clearly a, a an insider who is part of the establishment who wants – Who's probably this individual? They I forget what the name is of this of uh, the person. They think who it is. The fact that we can have a whistleblower who nobody's allowed to ask any questions of try to impeach and remove a sitting president of the United States is mind-boggling to me in this day and age. This is 2020, and we're going to let some anonymous person who heard something that somebody may have Trump may have said on the, on a phone call when. The transcripts clearly contradict what this whistleblower is saying. We're going to allow this? To, we're going to impeach a president over this? How low of a bar have we set? We've politicized the process, and it's my, it, it is so frustrating to me. You know, I heard it under when pre- President Obama was in office. Republicans, oh, we should impeach him. We should impeach him. You don't just impeach somebody because you don't like him. Agreed. 100% agree. And unfortunately, the Democrats – because and I think Adam Schiff even hinted at this in his pathetic statement the other day where he said something to the effect we can't – essentially he said we can't trust the results of, of the 2020 election. I think deep down some of these, these people realize you – know, I might be hypocritical of myself because I just said the media thinks they're, they're going to beat Trump. But I do think there's some in the Democratic Party who know unless they do this, they can't beat Trump. Yes, I agree. I agree. I think this. I yes, Michael, preach it today. I am a Metzinger, <laughs> Dane Metzinger, uh, which is the worst sounding name of all time. 
but today I am a Metzinger. I am the fifth Metzinger brother because you are so on it. They can't beat him in 2020. They wanted to impeach him. And by the way, I don't even think Nancy Pelosi wanted to impeach him. I think she knew it would fail. And it's just stupid. It's fucking stupid. Okay? It's low IQ. And middle. the only people that care about impeachment are middle-brow people. Middle-brow. Right? Google it if you don't know what it means. The only people that care about impeachment are middle-brow people that are too, uh, oh, man, they're going to impeach the president. No, he's not going to get impeached. He's not going anywhere. It's going to be up to the 2020 election. Um they just – this is the only thing that they can do to kind of soil his name and his legacy. Uh, these people are horrible. I'm, I'm over them. I'm over them. I'm over them, Michael. I'm going off. I'm going ham, as the kids say, as the Zoomers say. Get going ham. I like it. Going- <laughs> I, I, but I, I do just want to mention the fact that it just seems as though these people in these blue bubbles – I remember Chuck Todd saying after Trump won – and I think I mentioned this in another episode that he needs to get out of these – I don't know if he said blue bubble, but we need to get out there to to the heartland of America and listen to these people. And the fact of the matter is these people, these supposed political experts, analysts, pundits, whatever the heck you want to call them, have refused to do that. And they continue to live in their blue bubble and talk amongst themselves, and they honestly believe that this impeachment's something that we care about. I just looked at the ratings. They're horrific for this. What's it say if the Kavanaugh hearings, the Supreme Court hearings, got 10, 8 to 10 million more people than some of these hearings this past week? And, that, and that's for a Supreme Court hearing with Blasey Ford and Kavanaugh. It was, I believe it was that day when they were both testifying in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. But what does it say that Americans don't care? 10 million people, that's hardly anybody. Right. Nobody's watching this. Nobody cares. I follow politics. I, obviously, we have a political podcast here. I have a political blog. I, I follow all these political accounts. I've followed zero, nada of this thing. I continue to listen to talk see this past week at work. I don't care what's going on there. He's not going to be removed from, from office. It's, it's just been – we all kn- knew that going in. It's just a matter of whether some of the rhinos like Romney are going to allow for more witnesses. Uh, but it, in the end, it's not going to matter. They're not going to get 67 senators to remove him from office. So this thing's been a, a – I'm going I'm to use a word you hate, a nothing burger from the start. Yeah, it, it's the biggest burger ever. Yes. It I don't. I, would, I, I. I can't go ham anymore because I'm so ham that I've uh, hammed myself out on impeachment. It's dumb. If you, if you're a human being and you're like impeachment is serious because we're going to remove Trump, you have a low IQ. Okay. I don't even think the Democrats that are going through this show believe that. Right. They, they don't. The Democrats in the impeachment hearing don't believe that. So if you're listening to this and you think, yeah. They're going to get Trump. They're going to remove him from office during impeachment. You're just wrong. I don't know how else to put it. You're wrong, right? And uh, you should go look in the mirror and be like, man, I am so low IQ. Maybe I should just focus on gardening or something you know, holistic that will help the environment instead of focusing on politics. Yeah. All, <laughs> all right, real quick. What is your prediction for Iowa? I think Bernie Sanders wins it. I think it's Bernie Sanders, and I think he wins in Iowa, and I think he potentially wins in New Hampshire. And I think the Democratic establishment forces Klobuchar and uh, Buttigieg to drop out and endorse Biden, and they force Biden to uh, become the nominee. I think it becomes a Biden-Bernie race. I think it'll eventually become a Biden-Bernie race, but I would not be surprised if Mayor Pete still does commendable in, in, in Iowa. I think for the first month, we still are going to have those top four in it. And I wouldn't be surprised if if you have at least three of them get between 20, 20 to 24% of the vote in Iowa or however. These, and, and, you know, these caucuses, I'm not quite sure I fully understand what goes on there. Enough, but I, I think it's going to be somewhere in that range where you're going to have at least three get probably between 22 to 25%. I don't think anybody's going to run away with it. And then you're going to have New Hampshire. 
Um, and I haven't seen any, many polls there, so I don't know if it, if that's a good state for necessarily Sanders or Warren because they're both kind of what they're in neighboring states, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm not real sure. I I do think I think I think Bernie wins Iowa, but I think it's going to be awful close. I I I would watch Mayor Pete there. I think he might surprise some people mm. and keep it close. I think Bernie wins Iowa. Bernie wins New Hampshire. Um, and I think that the Democratic establishment forces Mayor Pete and uh, Amy Klobuchar to drop out and endorse Biden because he's the only Democratic establishment candidate that can get black people to vote for him. Black people voting for Mayor Pete is like Catholics, uh, I don't know, eating meat on Fridays. It just doesn't happen. Oh, wait, actually, that happens a lot. So that's not <laughs> um, Yes, it does. Good point. Um, so I think that it becomes down Biden versus Bernie, and I think Biden gets it, and I think it's a disaster for him, but I think that's their plan. All right, well, we shall see, and I, I'm sure we'll have to definitely follow up with another episode after the caucuses, unless we slip one in before, but probably most likely it will be after the, the caucuses in, in, in a week and a half. And then we can kind of talk New Hampshire and kind of see where things go. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if early on it's still it's the top four that stay in and kind of keep it all kind of close uh, before it really narrows down to to, to a Bernie versus Biden race. Agreed. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with that? Or you want you still want to talk about Boscoffs? I want to talk about. I want to. Shanley made some salted caramel cookies, and I want to go eat them. Um, so let's hurry up and talk about Boscovs and wrap this up. All right. We'll, we'll make this short and sweet. So uh, Kafaros, who own and operate the, the Eastwood Mall in Niles, just landed a, a massive tenant in this day and age where brick-and-mortar retail is struggling immensely across the country. They were able to replace their Sears with Boscoffs, a family-owned uh, department store from somewhere, I think, Reading, PA or something like that. So they're going to be opening, I think, in October of 2020. So it's kind of – from looking at their website, I would say it's a kind of like a JCPenney, maybe not quite to the level of a Macy's in terms of brands, but kind of something like that. But they also sell like appliances, a lot of those types of things. So maybe like throw the appliance department at Target or Walmart in there. Uh, and that's kind of that's, – it sounds like that's what Boscov says. Yeah. Um, so they hyped it up. They said this is the biggest announcement for the Eastwood Mall of all time. Shanley and I thought it was going to be a um, uh, Costco, which I think would do very well in the Mahoney Valley. Um, it would do very well at the mall. But it was a Boscovs. I have a couple things to say. One, Boscov sounds like a Russian general, <laughs> right? But I'm, when I think of Boskov, I think of the 1980s and like Admiral Boskov of the Soviet submarine fleet that's about to nuke the West Coast. I don't think of a shopping experience. Number two, who goes to a department store anymore? Shopping at a department store is very boomer. Like if you shop at a department store, you're a boomer, which is okay, but that's that's what it is, right? It just it's not a thing. Like I. When have you bought anything from a department store, Michael? Well, I still you, have some boomer tendencies here and there. You do vote Republican, but but what do you do? Do you go to department stores? I'll I'll, I'll walk through them, but I don't buy too much ever. Very, I can't tell you the that? last time I I did buy a pair of shoes at J.C. Penney's uh, right after Black Friday. I'll say that, but but not much. I go through them quite a bit, but I I rarely buy stuff at them. Well, look, at the end of the day, they hyped Boscov's act up to be the second coming of um, our Lord and Savior, and I don't think it is, um, and I'm just a little disappointed with what's coming in the ball. I, I don't know how well we'll do, but uh, we, it's coming. It's coming to the, the Mahoney Valley. It is coming, and I think, honestly, part of it is we're in this day and age where so many malls are closing across the country. There's one in Akron that's on the verge of death, Chapel Hill Mall. Uh, there was also Rolling Acres, and there's another one that was up in Cleveland that was torn down or Akron. I forget what it was called. And yeah, and one of them being bulldozed for an Amazon plant. That might be the one in, in Akron. But anyways, 
you know, the Mahoning Valley, I've, I've kind of taken an interest to this whole thing with malls and all that. Because really, the Mahoning Valley was 650,000 or so people probably really should only support one mall. But the strategic location of Niles and Borman are on the complete opposite ends of the population. So if you know if in theory if 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 malls were the thing now i think austin town would be the logical spot to put a mall right in between you know the heart of of population of trumbull county and the and the heart of the population of mahoney county you get off of 46 you're right there everybody's happy but they're on the opposite ends of the uh, of the population spectrum i guess i'll say it that way so i think kafaro's really wanted to and even Anthony Kafaro Jr., um, he, he took a couple shots at the people at Southern Park because they're they're doing some redevelopment there. I think they wanted just to kind of make a statement like, "Hey, we're here to stay. We're able to land big things while uh, while you knock down your Sears. We'll bring in a, a massive tenant to our Sears." So I, I think that kind of that was maybe some of uh, of what they were trying to, to to do there. Well, I'm excited. I'll go check it out. I'll have a Boss Cog live report. Again, I think Boscogs is a silly name for a department store, but whatever. We'll see. I mean, they're wealthy. I'm I'm just a humble banker, so you know maybe they know something I don't. They must, um, but they 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 did go bankrupt. Uh, I think about a decade ago, and they came out, and now they're they're opening one store a year. Is how they're doing it. Wow. And they're privately owned, so they don't have to do anything with the SEC or anything like that. So that's why they're able to do what they're doing. Apparently, it's from what I read. Wow. Well, I can't wait. Uh, so let's end this note. Uh, this episode has been sponsored by Boss Cause Department Stores, uh, coming to a mall near you. Coming to Eastwood Mall, October 2020. We can't wait. So, all right. Well, we talked about a lot. This was a good episode. And like I said, we'll probably do another one shortly after the Iowa caucuses and kind of go from there. And hopefully kind of do a podcast every few weeks because there's going to be a lot to talk about between now and November, whatever the date of the election is. So uh, it's tax season for me. I know you said you've been busy. And um, so uh, we want to make sure we keep this podcast going because, uh, like I said, there's a lot to talk about. I think it's a good podcast. I, I think so, too. I think there's some good discussion there. A lot of red meat for our uh, hardcore Republican listeners. Yeah. And uh, Tommy Metzner. And Tommy Metz, who's warming to our side. He's warming. He's a good kid. He's smart. He's a little... He likes He'll get there. He'll, um, we'll get him there. He's the oldest, so he's got to be a little different. I get it. But, Tommy, you know, it's time to become a man, right? <laughs> I know what, what that means. So, uh, we'll get there. Okay, well, listen, I got to eat this cookie Shanley just brought to yep. me. And, I'm going to go to bed. Okay. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye. bye.